Father, we ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I ask, uh, God, that you'd help us to lay aside every um, care and concern that we have for our lives or any distraction, and you would help us to focus on you 100%. And, and, I, and I pray that we'd be able to hear your voice in our heart by, by your Spirit. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So if we've been going through the book of Mark, uh, he's been showing us how Jesus is being received by different people. Uh, some people love him and trust him, and, and others reject him for various reasons, but that's basically what we've been seeing. And it seems like that the poor and the needy uh, seem to be the first to accept him. Have you, have you noticed that? And that the rich and the powerful and the prideful, the people who pridefully think they already know him or think they don't need him, those people are the, we've seen that they reject him, okay? And today we're going to see another one of these stories uh, with Herod Antipas, Antipas, we'll call him Herod. Uh, he is Herod the Great's grandson, uh, son, not grandson, just son. And uh, we're going to see uh, a story about him today, and we're going we're gonna to get a ton of detail about what goes into uh, accepting or rejecting Jesus, having Jesus as your, your friend or your enemy, um, being able to be saved, we'll say, is, is part of that. So, um, because receiving Jesus or, or simply hearing Jesus or seeing Jesus is not what saves you. Like coming to church we hear Jesus' message, we see his people, maybe even we, we kind of get a visual picture of what Jesus was like, but none of that saves a person. We have to let go of something. We have to turn away from something. We have to surrender something, and because and, and, we have this really huge problem called sin. We got to turn away from it. When we choose sin, it's going to blind us to truth. So even though the truth could be right in front of you, smacking you in the face, you're going to be blind to it. When we choose Jesus, however, we will be set free. Jesus will set us free. So here's our penetrating question for the day to get our brains working, to get our hearts uh, feeling, thinking uh, are, are there things in your life that you know are not pleasing to God? But you just let them exist anyway? Are there things in your life that are not according to his perfect law, his perfect word? And you are not willing to give those things up? Ooh, hard-hitting journalism right here. If this describes me, I have something I will not give up. I have what's called a hard heart, or I'm calloused, or calcified, bullheaded, obstinate, unyielding. That was my thesaurus work for the week. <laughs> a hard heart is a heart that doesn't hear its conscience anymore. Do you remember Jiminy Cricket, right? He was Pinocchio's conscience, right? And he said, always let your conscience be your guide. Remember the song? Always let your conscience be. 
And Pinocchio silenced his conscience in the, in the story, and, uh, and it did not go well for him. And our conscience is actually something that God has given us. And when we sin, we're supposed to sense how evil sin is, but so many times we don't because our conscience has already been smushed like a bug. So we either, when we feel that, that, that feeling of I am guilty and I'm a sinner, we have two options. We're either going to run to Jesus and obtain his forgiveness, which is what you should do, or we're going to keep doing it and ignore our conscience, that feeling, that sense of shame, and we're going to choose that sin over Jesus, and our hearts will start to get harder, and that voice of the conscience will get softer and softer until we just don't hear it anymore. And here's the truth. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 3 to start us out for our introduction here. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you, so this is for Christians, okay? He's writing this to believers. He says, Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another. What do you think that means? Yeah. Encourage one another. Maybe even there's a warning part in that. Warn one another. Exhort one another. While it is called today. What day is called today? Today. Is yesterday? You worry about yesterday? No, I can't worry about that. Tomorrow? No, can't worry about that. Today, lest there any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This encouraging each other and, and watching out for each other is the activity of real ministry to one another. It's, it's what fellowship is supposed to look like. We call fellowship hanging out and having fun together, but this is what it's really supposed to be. When we get together with each other and we say, are you following Christ? Are you departing? Is your heart soft towards the things of God or is your heart hard towards him because there's some... Here's a great question. If you want to be involved in ministry to one another, which I hope you do, ask this question to each other. Is there anything in your life that's not pleasing to the Lord? A real friend asks that question. A real brother in Christ, sister in Christ will ask that question. Not so that we can condemn you and say, I don't struggle with that, you idiot. I am so much better than you. That's not the attitude. But it's, it's someone who also knows that they are guilty before God. And so we share our weaknesses and our failures. And if there's anything uh, that we're holding on to, we come together and we pray together so that, so that we can experience God's freedom. That's what real ministry is supposed to look like. And guess what? It's scary and not many people want to be involved in it. Because if I ask you what's going on in your life, you might not like me anymore. 
and you might run away from me anymore, and I like your friendship, and, and it's scary, and I don't want to lose it. <sighs> Isn't that crazy? To be a good friend, you have to risk losing that friendship. And you have to place God and his will and his kingdom above your friendships, above your life and what you want. And, and it's hard. This is, this is having a, a relationship on a spiritual level. We have to openly trust each other with things that we struggle with and fail in, pointing each other to Jesus with all confidence, it said here in our text, steadfast to the end, never losing hope or turning aside to something else. You know what? You've been confessing this one sin to me so many times. I think we ought to maybe figure out some some other solution for you because Jesus obviously isn't working. That's losing your confidence. Jesus says, trust me and keep trusting me day after day after day. Don't think that I'm going to let you down Don't think that my waiting is that I'm not listening to you or I'm not hearing you. Keep trusting and says what's required of us. We're only real, it says this, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast from the beginning to the end our confidence in what he has done, what he has said. So, and, and when is the time to do this? When do we connect with each other? And, and do this, he says, it's today, any day that's called today. We must turn away from our sins, which means repent, today, and turn to Jesus today. We can't worry about yesterday, and we can't worry about tomorrow, only today. This is where our spiritual life is lived, today. But you don't understand my yesterday, my past is so hurtful, and Jesus, and Jesus says, it doesn't matter. Today, I am here, I love you, and I am everything you need today. Turn your back on sin today and follow me today. And tomorrow, do the same thing. If we let it go, if we hang on to our sins, if we choose to let our hearts get hard, very bad things will happen. If we choose to let our hearts get hard, very bad things will happen. There was an eagle, a majestic eagle, and he used to fly around Niagara. Anyone been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Well, up there it gets kind of cold, and, and he feared this giant majestic eagle, he feared nothing as he would soar around that whole area, and his favorite food was fish, and he just loved the fish that would swim in that, in that river. And one day, he saw an easy catch. He was so excited about it, and a fish had jumped onto a block of ice that was slowly making its way down the river. And so he cruised down this big, majestic eagle, and he sunk his talons into the fish, and he began uh, to feast on his floating dinner as, as it gently made its way down the river. The sound of the falls, you know, grew louder as he drew. It's pretty loud. I've never been there, but it's like you can hear it coming, right? And, and he, but he wasn't afraid. He started hearing that, and he was not afraid because this is an eagle, right? He's like, I'm, a, I'm an eagle. He knew that at any time he could just fly away. So he wasn't afraid. 
But right as the time approached for this, the falls, the water, this ice piece, what is it? Berg, little berglet, little little one to fall down. Uh, right before he, he he spread his wings to fly, he'd finished his his you know it was just down there, and, and um, but he didn't realize that his talons had frozen in the remains of this fish that he was perched on. And so, uh, you know, and that fish had been frozen itself into this giant block of ice, and he fell down the falls to his bitter death. What a great story to hear at church, right? I was going to insert a pun here, but it would have been illegal, illegal in America anyway. I love that one. That one was good. That one was good. It worked on like two levels. Because <laughs> it's illegal in America. Anyway. Okay, so let's get to our text now. Uh, in Mar- Yes, she's like, yes, finally. Our, our introduction uh, <laughs> is that you might fall down a, you know, falls and die if you're not careful. All right? And, and, and so in Mark, we, we have a story about... King Herod. So we're going to start in verse 14, which is where we left off last week. It says, Now King Herod heard of him. And this is Jesus that King Herod heard of. And uh, because his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. Now that is a very silly, borderline stupid thing to think. Uh, but we'll get into why. Herod is so weird about this. Because others said, it is Elijah, and others, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, nope, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Herod, why are you so, why do you have this weird idea about who this Jesus is? Herod Here's all about what Jesus was doing, and, and Herod has to make a decision about who Jesus is, just like everybody else, because you can't hear about Jesus doing all these miracles and raising people from the dead and giving people sight to the blind and healing sickness. You can't just let that go. It's not just nothing. It is something, and everyone has to decide. And some people decided, clearly, Jesus is the Messiah. That's, some people were all on board, and he was checking all the boxes, like Messiah is supposed to do this, Messiah was supposed to do that. You know, he was, he was right there. Some decided that Jesus was, was just a guy from God, like a, a, a prophet, you know, and, and he's, he's something crazy, but I'm not sure what he is. And then some decided Jesus was evil and, and were planning to kill him. And Herod has a hard heart. Uh, and because of that hard heart, he makes up a crazy idea that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead, which of all these options presented to us is the weirdest dumbest, and doesn't make sense. But Mark is going to tell us the story now in the next few verses of how we can learn how Herod got such a hard heart, uh, which is why Herod is so stupid. And, and we may think, why are people around me so stupid all the time? Maybe it's because of this hard heart. They're trying to make sense of the world, but their heart won't let them see the truth that is hitting them in the face right in front of them. So let's see what he says. Right away, we're, um, so the right way to look at this story isn't 
Uh, man, Herod is a really bad, dumb guy. I'm glad I'm on Team Jesus. That's, that's the first time I read this story, that was what my prideful heart thought. Wow, Herod is so dumb. I'm so glad I'm not that dumb. The right way to look at this is rather, man, Herod is a lot like me. Hmm. We don't like to look at... And, and have you ever noticed in, when we read Bible stories and we read about a bad guy, we're always like, oh, the bad guys in the Bible, such dorks. I hope they die. And then... A few years later, we come back to the same story, and we're like, wait a second. I'm not the good guy in this story. I'm the bad guy. And that is called Christian maturity. When you realize that you're not the good guy, you are the villain in this story that has been graciously, miraculously saved and forgiven. How crazy is that? God teaches us this humility. And uh, so as we read the story, remember that Herod is a picture of you and what can happen in your life when you let yourself get a hard heart. Uh, continuing in our text, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her, because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Mark takes a break from his uh, linear narrative, and he is now um, doing a flashback of Herod's relationship with John the Baptist and how he's going to kill him. And, uh, and, and so this, is not, this has already happened, and Mark is informing us why Herod is so weird and why Herod has such a hard heart and why Herod thought that now Jesus is getting famous in our, in our, in our text, in our line, but Herod... Uh, is, is really having a hard situation. So the gist of this family of Herod, I'm going to explain to you um, and to summarize very briefly for us here. Uh, but basically, Herod Antipas had met his niece. So he had traveled to Rome. He, was, he lived in the Middle East, and, uh, but he was in government, and, and he was the son of Herod the Great. And so as Herod the Great was going to die, he needed to divide up the kingdom of the Middle East there, and so Herod traveled to Rome uh, to receive what he, what he thought was going to be a big kingdom and, 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 and that. Um, what he got, uh, his, his dad actually thought he was a dork and didn't want to give him everything, didn't want to give him anything. But the guy before him, his older brother, um, Herod killed, so he, that, so he killed his own son. That was, you know, so he's the only one left. But he doesn't give him the whole kingdom. He gives him what's called one-fourth of the kingdom, or what you call in Greek, a, or a tetrarch is what he was called, which means a ruler of one-fourth of the kingdom. Uh, so he was kind of offended by that anyway. Well, let me back up. Before he went to Rome, he had gotten married to a, an Arabian princess. So here was his kingdom, and the bordering kingdom, he married the princess from there, so the daughter of the king of this bordering kingdom. Married her. They travel to Rome. Herod meets his niece, who is married to his brother, okay? And they have an affair and, get in and fall in love, and they get married. So Herod divorces his first wife and sends her back to her, her country in Arabia, right next to Israel. And do you think she was very happy? No. And do you think her dad was really happy? 
No, we're going to find out. He later is going to just wipe out Herod's army, and it's going to be really bad for Herod. Herod's going to be kicked out, and eventually Herod is going to end up in Spain, dying a horrible death. But that's the end of the story. So Herod marries his own niece, who was married to his brother. Make sense? Okay, this is a great family. Okay, so, of course, this is a clear act of adultery. And, and Herod is chasing things that he thinks is going to make him happy. He thinks is going to make him happy. Herod, and, okay, so people, there's a lot of immorality in our world today too, right? There's a lot of people, relationship-wise and sexuality-wise, they're doing a lot of things that we see are just playing against, against the rules, Right? But if we come at them and say, hey, it's, it's against the rules, you shouldn't do it because it's against the rules, are they going to listen? No, they're not. That's not gonna, it's not going to produce any kind of desire for them to change. But I think John the Baptist was not approaching it that way. I think John the Baptist is much more Christ-like and godly, and I think he presented it to Herod like this. Herod, you are trying so hard to be happy, and you're, you're searching for love in all the wrong places. And I know that song just went in your head, right? Searching for love and all. Anyway. And, and as John the Baptist shared with him, the only way for you to be right and, and for you to be happy and for you to have what God intended you to have is to follow him and get receive it from him. And then the relationships that he gives you will satisfy you. But you don't understand, I, I, I have this reason and I have that reason. And John the Baptist would say, hey, God loves you. He would not put you in life and then say, I don't care about you and your relationships. He loves you and he will provide people around you to love you. But you've got to stop stepping outside of his plan. Again, not because that's um, against the rules, although it is, but because God's plan for you is so much better than choosing to walk outside of his plan. Let God be the one who, who gives you these relationships that you so long for, that you need. Let God give them to you instead of trying to go out there and get them yourself. So somehow Herod had come in contact with John the Baptist. Maybe he went out to the desert because it said everyone was going out to the desert to hear John the Baptist preach. And because that territory that John the Baptist was preaching in was Herod's territory. Okay? And, and John somehow had this conversation with, with Herod where he says, hey, Herod, bro, what are you doing? This is, this is sin, but you're never going to experience what God has for you, the plan God has for you, the blessing God has for you, outside of his, his plan. And, uh, and Herod didn't like that. And so Herod uh, puts John in jail for offending him, saying that, uh, you know, John was saying that he needed salvation and forgiveness, just like the rest of the nation. So we know that Herod right now, he has a heart of pride. Do you see it? He thinks, I don't need salvation. I, 
I can decide what's best. I, my own, I get to pick my relationships. I pick my wife. I don't care about you. I pick my wife. And that attitude of pride is, is marching him in a bad direction. So let's see our text. Therefore, Herodias, this is his um, wife, held it against him, John the Baptist, and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man, and he, wanted, he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things. A better translation of that is he was confused. And he heard him gladly, which means he liked listening to him. So Herod was confused. This shows us the inner battle that was going on with Herod. He was confused. He thinks John may be right. So God is like working in Herod's life. Um, but he has another voice in his, wife, in, his, in his head and in his ears. And that voice is the voice of his evil wife. We'll call her Satan. <laughs> the spirit, the spirit is speaking to him and the spirit loves him. And the spirit wants what's best for Herod, this dirty, rotten sinner. God's spirit loves him and is speaking to him and has given him a testimony. John the Baptist, who's like, bro, come on. And, and his satanic wife represents Satan, who does not love him, who is full of hate and murderous intent. And, and she starts speaking the voice of the enemy. She is telling Herod, hey, don't let anyone tell you that you can't pick, that you can't choose what you want to do with your own life. Don't believe that God's plan is a plan of love for you. God just wants to restrict you. And that's what Satan does. He says, you know what? All those Christians, all those Ten Commandments, they just want to keep you from having fun. And having fun is the point of life. So let's eat, drink, and be merry. But what is Herod doing? Herod is procrastinating. He's sitting on a block of ice, getting frozen to it. He's okay with his sin for the moment, but he's playing with this fire. He doesn't understand what the consequences of, be, of it's going to be. Because his evil wife has a plan, right? She knows she needs to seal the deal before Herod comes to know the truth or believe in the truth. And so she is going to force the issue. And understand, this is exactly what Satan wants to do in our lives. It's to force us to choose before uh, we want to. So um, Satan also has a plan. Just like, the, just like this evil Herodias has a plan, Satan has a plan. He wants to force you to choose sin. He's, he's a master trickster, and he will lure me into giving up truth forever to squish the conscience like a bug he, he, would, he wants to force me to do that. Giving up truth and God's testimony of truth in my heart for sin. Satan is the one that's going to say, you can't have both. You've got to sin. You've got to choose sin. And that's his plan. So look what happens. 
Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles and high officers and chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod, And those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Sweet girl. So at this moment, the plan has worked. She has hooked Herod with lust and fun, and he can't get out of it. It's over. Because to turn to God now would mean he has to be embarrassed. And his pride is too great to allow that. And so she, his, his evil, satanic wife, has played him like a fiddle, just like Satan plays me. He gets me hooked on pleasures of sin. And when I've drunk deeply, he asks me to seal the deal by killing my conscience. Just ignore it. And it's so hard to turn back at that point. Once I have said, I can't stop, I won't stop. I'm just going to ignore the conscience that tells me it's wrong, and I'm just going to say, whatever, whatever, I'm just going to do it. Once I make that choice, it is so hard to turn back because I would have to be embarrassed, and I would have to be humbled And my pride is so great that I don't like that. Anyone else with me in this? And do you see how seeing Herod as me is so much (laughs) better than looking at it with this prideful attitude of, yeah, those people who do, you know, carnal relationship things are so bad. No, this is me. This is me. He could have turned back at this point. You know, Herod... He could have fallen on his knees, begged God for mercy. He could have ran out to Jesus to find Jesus, but no, he doesn't. It's his choice. It's his pride, right? Just like I can run to Jesus anytime I want, but so oftentimes I don't. So in his life, his eternal Life, his eternal state is basically sealed at this point. He has rejected truth so that he could have his sin. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with them, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, uh, brought his head on a platter, and this is crazy, and and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So in Herod's life, there used to be a real live testimony of truth. 
But what did Herod do? He killed it. Now it's just silence. When Herod wants to hear the voice of God, there's just silence. Man, I wish God would speak to me. Man, I wish I just didn't hear silence when I pray, when I read the word. Have you ever thought maybe you killed the testimony? You killed John the Baptist? And God is waiting for there to be new life and new uh, spirit. You got to be born again to hear that. Any real Christian can hear God's voice. It is real. And it's not in your ears. It's not with your mind and it's not with your will or your emotions. Where do we hear God's voice? In the spirit. We did discipleship on this this week, so he cheated. He knew the answer. I had given him the answer way before, so don't think he's all that. (laughs) Anyway, we hear his voice in the spirit, which is not your mind or your will or your emotions. It's it's another level, okay? A deeper level. And, And that's where God provides and speaks to our hearts. Herod here, he's killed that. He says, I want none of that. I don't want that. Herod could not receive who Jesus was because he had a hard heart. So now we, we back up. So we get back to our story, our timeline. Herod hears about Jesus and all the wonderful things that Jesus is doing, raising people from the dead and healing people and speaking such loving, truthful, gracious things. People have never heard anything like this. And Herod says, must be John the Baptist. Like a weird response. Herod is not going to receive who Jesus is because he's already silenced the voice of the testimony that God had for him. He's already killed it. He made a deal with the devil. He wanted sin and fun and pride. He wanted those things more than he wanted to know who God really was. Or what Jesus could do for him. So what kept Herod from repenting? Pride. He didn't want to be embarrassed. So what does all this mean for us? Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait for what? Don't wait to repent. You are all a bunch of sinners. (laughs) We are. We are such sinners, and we sin every day. But I don't know if we repent every day. And what happens is our relationship with God gets calloused and gets cold, and we start acting more like Herod than we want to believe. Don't wait. You are faced with the decision to turn from self and turn to Christ every moment of the day. And God is so patient, but don't wait. Turn from self to Christ. The longer that we delay from turning the right way, the harder it becomes. Did you know that? The longer you wait to repent, the harder it is. Every single time. 
That is an unfailing rule. The longer you wait, the harder it becomes. And the longer you delay, it's just not good. So the Bible gives us this text that we read in Hebrews that says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Is God speaking to you today? Yeah, he is. Just because you don't hear it doesn't mean he's not speaking. He is speaking to you today. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I love you. Have you not heard it as we've been reading about Jesus and we've been hearing about God's love? God is saying to you, I love you. I cherish you. And I have provided all that you need. Turn to me. That's what he said. Now he says it in this spiritual world. He says it to your spirit. He says it there. And sometimes that leaks into your brain and you start thinking about it and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm starting to, this starting to make sense to me. Sometimes not. It doesn't make sense, but I feel Jesus. Sometimes it, it's, it goes into your will and you're like, man, I, I want to, to turn to Christ. I, I want to. I don't understand why, but I want to. And that's the spirit coming and infecting your will. Sometimes it's your emotions. Man, I'm feeling God in this place. But we don't decide how it affects you. Sometimes it's your mind. Sometimes it's your will. Sometimes it's your emotions. But I know in the spirit, God is speaking to every single one of us here today. Because it's his promise he will speak to you till the day you die. He will offer his love to you till the day you die. And he will give a testimony to you until the day you die. But some of us, we've murdered it. We've killed it and we're not hearing it anymore because we've chosen sin. And so some of us have a really hard thing to do today. Some of us have to repent. And it's so hard. And maybe we've been holding on to stuff for years and years and years and years. And that makes it even harder. We need God's help. You might feel this is too hard for me. It's so hard to repent. It's too hard. You know what? God understands that and he would say, I'm here to help you. I will help you. So we ask God for his help to turn away from self and to turn to Christ, which is just to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, to pick up our cross and follow him, turning away from sin and toward Jesus. If we wait to do this, we risk getting this hard heart, getting like Herod, getting confused man, that church is so confusing and my relationship with God is like up and down and I don't understand why this happens and why that happens. I'm just confused. Or like Herod, we get all mixed up and we get ripe for some sexy snare to bring us down. Right? That's what happened to him. He was confused and then he was just ready to give in to temptation. And then, just like Herod, we silence the work of God in our lives Like the eagle who waited too long, we plunge down into places we never should have been. Don't wait. 
We're going to read two scriptures right now. Matthew 10, 38 says, He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There's, a, there's an intense verse, right? Jesus says, you got to take up your cross and follow me, and if you don't, you're not worthy of me. Hmm. Luke 9.23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The world today says, Satan's lie today says, it's all about you. What do you want? What do you think would make you happy? What do you need? Jesus says, shut the front door. That is not what this is about. What this is about, you have to deny self in order to follow me. You can't have self and me exist at the same time. Either you are master and Lord or I am master and Lord. Which will it be? Wow. The world is so clever at making it sound appealing to say, what do you want? It's important that you feel good and it's important that you have self-esteem. And God says, no, that is the way that is broad and leads to death. The narrow way, the right way, is the way that says, I will follow Christ, which is death to self and no to self. So when myself wants to be pleasure and, and fun, Jesus says, no, say no to it. Say no. And well, but I, but I really have the need and I feel like I'm not living if I don't have these pleasures and do these things. And Jesus says, death to that. Say no to self and say death to self. This is why it's unpopular to follow Jesus. What self would want to follow Jesus? No self. And if self is our master and self is our Lord and we do anything that the self wants, then we are going to hell. And we're not going to follow Jesus. But that's not what it feels like. Right? Sin is tempting for a reason. All right, so we're supposed to say no to ourselves. We're supposed to die to self, and we're supposed to pick up our cross, our death instrument, and follow Jesus. But why would I do that today? Well, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 6 to you, just the first two verses. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. Do you get what he said there? He says, receiving the grace of God in vain is calling ourselves Christians and yet living like we're our own masters, doing whatever the heck we want. That is receiving the grace of God in vain. And then he says, don't do that because if you call upon me, I will answer. In fact, it's so sure that I'm going to put it in the past tense, I already have answered you. That's how sure the following Jesus is that you will receive life and joy and all the blessings that heaven can give are yours if you simply repent, call upon him. Say, I'm turning away from my ways. I'm turning to you. It's yours. It, his life is yours. Everything is yours. But our self, our flesh does not want to do that. Our, we think our mornings, 
are our own, but our mornings are not our own. Our evenings are not our own. Our lunches are not our own. Our breaks are not our own. Our labor, our work, and our study is not our own. Our lives are not our own. That's the deal. We follow Jesus and we belong to him or not. What are you going to do? Pick a side. I don't even have to tell you to pick a side because you've already picked a side in your heart right now. You've already picked. Know that Satan will always provide a little dance to distract you from making the right choice. Every morning, every evening, any time you're faced with the choice, Satan will always be there to give you a little distraction. So what do we need to do? What should we do? Well, tell me, what should Herod have done? Run to Jesus. Fall on knees. Worship him and receive his forgiveness and healing. And choose to follow him. Choose to say no to self, death to self, life in Christ alone. Then when people ask you a question like, hey, what, what, is it, what is your life? Tell me about you. Your answer is, my life is nothing really except Jesus has loved me, Jesus has forgiven me, Jesus lives in me, and I'm all about his kingdom in this world. I want to follow him. People don't hear that in this world. You don't hear that on the bus. You don't hear that from many preachers. We don't hear it much. But you can be used for God's kingdom. You can have his life. So we're finished with our study today. We're going we're gonna to sing a couple more songs. Uh, we're going to spend some time. We've got communion available. So if you believe in Christ and you have received him and you want to follow him, you have every right to come and, and re- remember his promises, remember his life and his death, and that's what communion is all about. He told us, do it to remember what he has done for us. Um, so would you all stand with me? A lot was said about choosing Jesus and repenting of sin, and, and those can be just like, Intense words and confusing. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I should do. It's really very simple. Jesus says, do you want to be forgiven? Come to me. Confess your sins to me, and I will wash you clean. I will forgive you. And some of you maybe have been believers for a long time, and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you've been holding on to something so long, and you know it's not honoring to God. Then confess it to him right now. Receive his forgiveness, and he will, he is absolutely faithful to love you, forgive you for everything, and you will be right as rain in a moment. And he's, his voice is calling this invitation out to your heart, to your spirit.
Okay, so I don't care if it makes sense to you. Maybe it's not getting through to your mind. That's fine. Maybe you don't feel like doing it. That's fine. But if you have a spiritual urge to draw near to God, that is his spirit drawing you. And it is real. Just as real as your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your very body. It is just as real. It's invisible. It's confusing. We don't understand it all the time, but it is real. So I encourage every single person in here to just close our eyes and know God's voice is, is being spoken to you right now. I love you. I've done everything that is needed for you to be right with God. I've given my son as a substitute for your sin and he was punished for you so you don't have to be punished. I have given him as your very life in resurrection, you may have be born again by looking to me and putting your trust in me and faith in me. God, I pray that for every single one of us here, God, we would, um, we would not let Satan, that you would help us to know when Satan is bringing a distraction, that when we are hardening our hearts and we've been deceived by sin, God, we don't want to go down into a pit that is going to cause us misery in the future. We need you to step in and rescue us and save us. So Jesus, we call upon you in in humility. Lord, we need you. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot forgive ourselves. We need your forgiveness. And in faith, Lord, no other offers us forgiveness. No other religion, no other man, no other God gives us what you give us a promise of eternal forgiveness and to be adopted into the very family and household of God. And Jesus, we we call upon you in these things. Make us your children. Forgive us. Give us the grace to grow in our relationship with you every day. Jesus, I believe that you have personally connected with many people in here today that you have given them a truth that they can hold on to forever and god i pray uh, that you would cause these seeds to grow and produce fruit in a supernatural way in a very powerful way i pray for my own boys that they would listen and hear your voice and they would be alive to the things of the holy spirit i pray for people i've just met today people i don't even know anyone who is hearing your spirit today, God. Help us. Make us alive. Deliver us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.